Welcome to the Success Fundamentals Podcast, where we will be interviewing people who have reached greatness in their respective fields and get an insider's view on what it takes to get to the top. Our aim is to uncover their deepest motivations, beliefs, and methods to achieving success so we can all gain wisdom from their experiences. Please welcome your hosts, Christopher Sykes and Brian Goldsack. Welcome to another edition of Success Fundamentals, where we give you the tools necessary to be successes in your own life by people who have actually done it. I am your co-host, Chris Sykes. I am Brian Goldsack, and today we are joined by Darren Burke, the owner of Burke Brands and the creator of my favorite brand of coffee, Don Pablo. So let me tell you a little bit about how I first found Don Pablo. So I was looking for a a coffee brand to get shipped to my house online for quite some time. My family, I think we've mentioned this before on the show, we drink a lot of coffee at at the Gold Sack house. And uh, (laughs) I don't know what it was. I don't know what it was about the marketing or the amazing reviews that I saw on Amazon, but uh, I ordered the Don Pablo Signature Blend a couple of days later. I had it at my house, and I've been drinking it for about three and a half years straight. So I am so excited to have Darren on the show today. How are you, Darren? I'm doing great, and uh, we're so excited to have you as a customer and very grateful also for your support over those three years. Thank you. 100%. Oh. My pleasure. Quite moving. So, Darren, one of the things that I found very interesting about your brand is on, on the back of the coffee bag, you have the full story about how you entered into the coffee industry. So for those of our listeners that aren't familiar with your brand, can you take us through that story? How did it all start for you? Sure. It was uh, 32 years ago, and um, I grew up in New England, and I wanted to get out of there. I was about uh, 20 21 years old, something like that. And uh, I came down to Miami and I came down and I met a girl that I fell in love with uh, within three weeks. Um, She was from Colombia. And uh, so fell madly in love with her. And I said, okay, let me go to Colombia and meet her family. And I went down there and uh, they, the next morning they gave me this cup of coffee and it just blew me away. Uh, we had been drinking my family, uh, the supermarket brands for years since I started drinking coffee. And it was really more of a caffeine delivery device than something you could, you, you could enjoy every day. And um, so this cup of coffee, it was black, it was rich, it was smooth, it had a lot of body, it tasted like chocolate. Uh, the aftertaste was sweet and pleasant. And um, it just sort of lingered on your tongue for for hours, literally after. And, you know, during that afternoon, I was like, wow, I gotta have another cup of that. I can't wait till tomorrow morning when I, when I get up and I, and I get some more of it. And, um, her family noticed me freaking out about the coffee and, uh, thought I was crazy. And, uh, anyway, if you, if you live in Colombia, if you're not a coffee grower yourself, chances are you're going to know a coffee grower. It's either going to be your uncle or your neighbor or somebody, somebody, you know, So within a few hours, I was on a coffee farm and saw my first uh, coffee plant. And I was just like amazed by the the whole thing. Um, And that that day turned into weeks and then months and then years of touring coffee farms all over Latin America. And um, I had the idea of bringing 
Colombian brands and other brands from Latin America into the U.S., it seemed like a no-brainer because it was so good. I knew it would work as a business. And I was entrepreneurial back then. Uh, and, you know, people said, oh, that will never work. If that would work, somebody would be doing it already. And, you know, as a kid, I didn't have any money. So I, uh, I kind of put that on hold. And I was doing, I had another cleaning business and I was going to school. And finally, about 17 years ago now, uh, we took a little money out of the condo we had bought here in uh, South Florida, depreciated in value, very little money. And uh, we bought a roaster and started roasting coffee. And, um, and fast forward 17 years, here we are. It's, it's worked out pretty well. Wow. Absolutely. Amazing story. Amazing story. So... Okay, Darren. Chris. So you're this amazing coffee big business person. And you said that you had another, you had you already had this entrepreneurial streak in you before coffee. Where did that come from? You know, it, it was funny because I uh I really didn't give that a lot of thought until people started asking me questions like that. And the reality is I, I grew up into a business. It was um my parents owned a small dry cleaners. And um, in a small town, I come from this little Norman Rockwell town up in the up in New England, Western Mass. And um, and they had the dry cleaners and they, they didn't uh, you know, they kept it small. But I, I didn't know that we weren't wealthy because, you know, I had we had the nicest used car on the block and I'd always get the, you know, the best uh, Christmas gift at Christmas or whatever. And uh, there was that. And there was also my grandfather who retired from uh, an aluminum company. And um, and then uh, really, you know, when I became aware when I was, I don't know, four five, six, whatever it was, he had retired and he was doing his own thing. He was a scrap metal dealer going around picking up scrap metal. And I'd send my spend my summers with him, you know, making deals with warehouses and manufacturing plants that needed to get rid of some some waste metal materials, you know, warehouse racking, whatever it was. And then we'd pick it up in a flatbed truck and then we'd go sell it for, you know, pennies on the pound or whatever it was. And at the end of the day, we'd go have a beer and he'd give me my paycheck. And it was, you know, I made 38 bucks that day, you know, best day of my life, you know, running around with my grandfather and stuff. So I think at an early age, I kind of got uh, the idea that doing your own thing was, was pretty great. So that's an interesting point that you bring up. And and I heard you say before that there were certain people that were discouraging you from going into this new venture. Uh, I I don't know much about the coffee industry, but I know that there's a lot of people now that are roasting their own coffee and certain cafes are, they have their own signature blends. So with the landscape of the coffee industry, as it currently is, uh, what gave you that confidence to say, I'm going to do it anyway, and not only am I going to do it, but I'm going to actually become one of the big contenders in that industry? Yeah, so the, it wasn't confidence. It was ignorance and stupidity, right? <laughs> so uh, I had a lot of that, and, um, and that worked out. But So people weren't discouraging me because they knew what the landscape looked like. And what it looked like was, and it's still like this today, that for large companies control 95% of the global at-home coffee industry. So oh, all wow. the brands that you know and you've grown up with, all of them are controlled by four companies.
companies, right? So, um, so that makes it very difficult to compete. And when we started 17 years ago, it was even harder because, um, you know, the specialty coffee industry existed, but it was really very tiny. Uh, and there was not a lot of um, people didn't embrace new coffee brands. There was a lot of, co you know, loyalty, brand loyalty from brands they've been drinking for literally generations, you know. Um, and I was, I had the idea, went to Latin America and I said, hey, you know, let's, let's create this brand that appeals to uh, upscale Hispanics with crossover to non-Hispanic specialty coffee consumers. And, you know, so I was gonna target the, the Hispanics, the Latin community. And um, anyway, we introduced it and found out right away that was gonna be a huge uphill battle because they were even more brand loyal. You know, there's really a small number, especially in the US, the US of, you know, uh, Latin brands that target the Latin community. And, you know, if you're Latin and we grew up here in Miami, so, and, you know, probably 80% of our employees are, are Latin. So, you know, I know their families, I know what coffees they drink. Well, they're all drinking ours now, fortunately, but, <laughs> but they were drinking these other brands, which you'd know the names. Uh, and, you know, I don't know how, how free I can be with saying those names, but um, there's, there's right, two. Can, may I guess, may I guess one of them? Sure. I'm half, I'm half Hispanic myself and we grew okay. up drinking Cafe Bustelo. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> do you, but wait, do you know who owns Cafe Bustelo? No idea. Dunkin' Donuts. Smuckers. Are you Smuckers? serious? Yeah. Smuckers <laughs> produces Dunkin' Donuts also for, you know, the the uh, the at-home coffee, the supermarkets and stuff. And also Pilon and Bustelo. Pilon and Bustelo is the same company, which is both made. They're both made by Smuckers. So that's an example. <laughs> Look at that. Yeah. So tell your friends. Wow. Donuts. But, but anyway, so, um, you know, it was... Uh, we found out really quick that the, that community was super brand loyal. You know, they see their their grandmother making it on the stove with the little mocha pot, you know, the cafeteria, they call it. And uh, and then their, their mother would make it that way. And then they got old enough and they would make it that way. And it's a certain way you make it with, you know, the sugar and stuff. It's super brand loyal and also a little more price sensitive. So um, so that that was a hard nut to crack from the beginning. But what we did find was. There were more, you know, non-Latins uh, that were buying it. So then it was, now it's a crossover product, you know, uh, from non-Latin, especially coffee consumers to second, third, fourth generation Latin customers, which is great. You know, it was great to have them. So, um, yeah, that's, it's been an evolutionary process to get where we are now. Darren, I, I have two questions for you. The first is, where did the name Don Pablo come from? And secondly, where did your business skill come from? Because anybody can start a company, anybody can have an idea and say, I want to go down this road, but you have to have a certain level of business acumen to be successful as an entrepreneur. So the first, the name, then the second, where, how did you develop your business acumen? And what, had to, and what did it teach you in the beginning stages? Yeah, so uh, both great questions. And the first one uh, it was my wife's grandmother who couldn't pronounce my name on that first trip. Well, you know, I had been going down there, you know, multiple times and learning about coffee and stuff and staying with my wife's family. But uh, for some reason, Darren, which is my first name, was hard for her to pronounce. So I needed a nickname. 
And, you know, one night we were sitting around the dinner table and we were, uh, you know, I was trying to learn Spanish and she was talking about tongue twisters and they came up with this one, uh, Pablo Clavo and Cavito en la Cabeza de Calvo. And back then I, I just murdered it. I did a really terrible job and it was so funny to everybody that they just laughed and laughed and laughed at me. And then they stopped <laughs> laughing and then a couple hours later they would laugh again at me. And then the next day they would just burst into this laughter. And uh, so I, that became my nickname, Pablo, after the guy in the tongue twister. And then I got this hat and out of respect for the hat, they started calling me Don Pablo. So I became <laughs> Don Pablo. It was easier for them to pronounce. And I said, let's, let's do a brand with Don Pablo. Why not? And the idea was, you know, I, I was going to be the guy with a foot in both cultures, right? I'd be here in the States. And then, uh, you know, I'd be also have a, a footprint, if you will, over there too. And so they could sort of trust me to bring in the kind of coffee, the quality that, um, that they liked over here too. So that was sort of the idea. And that's why we put the story on the back of the package is because we wanted to convey that authenticity. So that, that was it. And then your second question, um, you know, that, I think that speaks to nature versus nurture. Uh, you know, people often ask, are entrepreneurs born or are they made? And in my case, I think it was a little bit of both. You know, I was somehow... I was very shy as a kid, but at the same time, maybe because of that, I was driven to sell things like, you know, when you sold um, whatever it was, cookies or whatever you sold in school and yeah. there was these competitions, you know, I would I would do very well. And sometimes I'd be number one salesperson in my elementary school. Um, so there was that. And there was also uh, when I became a little older, when I left, uh, left my small town, um, I think it was about when I first did, I was 18, yeah, right after high school, I answered an ad for a, uh, a magazine, door-to-door -door magazine sales organization, which was really strange. You know, it was like a cult and it was a bunch of these mostly runaway kids. And they took us from, I was actually in Chicago at the time. And then I went down to Alabama. They took us all over the Southeast and we were knocking on doors, selling magazine subscriptions. And, um, and it, they were like, I don't want to say brainwashing, but sort of brain conditioning us. But, you know, it was a sales training to the highest order. And it really opened up my eyes that, you know, I could influence people to purchase a magazine subscription. Because before that, I didn't think I had that kind of power as, a, you know, as an 18-year-old kid. But um, so that, I did that for about maybe four months and they taught me a lot, never paid me a dime, really. And it was basically uh, <laughs> slavery. Um, but uh, and it, it was legit because I remember signing somebody up for a, a magazine subscription. They said it was actually a blind lady, you know, which I don't know if I felt bad or what, but she wanted to help me. Um, so she insisted that I take the magazines. And when I got back home a few months later, I got the subscription. So it was a leg legitimate thing. And um, not the best opportunity, but it taught me a lot about business and influence and sales and that type of thing. So that's, that's an interesting backstory from a sales perspective, because both Chris and I do have a sales background as well. And, uh, and I even have some door to door experience. <laughs> and yeah, we both so do. That, yeah, we both do. So, so there oh, is wow. this, um, th there's this uh, saying that I heard uh, that basically one or two years of door-to-door -door sales is the equivalent of a four-year communications degree. 
I believe Simply it. because you meet so many different people uh, while you're going door to door and you have to adapt and cope. And I guess the question that it brings up for me is, uh, are there any experiences that you had in those early stages from a sales perspective that you make reference to even now that you are the head of, of this business, of this brand? Yeah, constantly. Um, I mean, I've just, I've had so many jobs. I've sold so many different things. Uh, you know, I just, you know, it's all contextual. Like, you know, if I'll be in a meeting or trying to explain something to one of our people, you know, that's, that's how I will convey a thought is through a story. Um, you know, as we're talking right now, I can't really think of one, but, um, but there's a million of them out there. And, uh, and, you know, going back to one of the things you said about, you know, the communications degree and stuff, uh, you know, the door to door sales part of it, I, um, I, I was allowed to fail, you know, I failed a lot, uh, as a kid, just trying to find my, my sort of, uh, groove. Um, and I, you know, I just remember I remember, you know, kind of like being disingenuous sometimes, you know, uh, because they were pushing us to reach a quota. And, you know, I was a kid and I just was trying to please them. And uh, so a couple of times I lied and it was the worst feeling in the world. Um, and so that's that was kind of when I stopped that, you know, for a long time. I remember going up to, you know, telling people, oh, I love animals and I'm, you know, we want to earn these, this money so I can open up an animal shelter and all this other stuff and all these terrible lies, right? Um, and uh, anyway, so I found out really early that you want to be authentic and you want to be honest and you want to sort of help people get what they want. Uh, so, I, you know, I learned that early and I learned that through the, the magazine selling experience early on. Darren is is I I want to pick, pick your brain on this here because I'm I'm very curious when people set out to be great in whatever they do right you've built you've been doing this for you first saw uh, an opportunity 32 years ago but then 17 years ago you really you went all in and you've been able to build this amazing brand and I know that when it what comes with success is sacrifice is grit you're going to take a lot of losses sometimes you're going to you know things may be going you know one way and then they can make a immediate left so for our entrepreneurs who are listening to this or people who want to go down the path of entrepreneurship what can you tell us about what people have to persevere um based off of your experience to get to to where you are today Oh, man. Well, I'll tell you what, it really wasn't easy. Um, you know, we've experienced fires and floods and the market price of our raw material going up 135 percent overnight. And, um, oh my God. you know, horrible, horrible things. And it was really, really very hard. And uh, it was my faith that brought me through all of those terrible things. Um, and, you know, I, I had always, I, I grew up as a, you know, a Catholic in New England and, you know, went to church and stuff like that, but it really wasn't until um, things got really tough that I, uh, that I had a transformation. Um, and what I did was I, I, I put everything into the faith. I'll tell you what happened. It was, uh, it was about 16 and a half years ago and um, 
things were not going well. Uh, I discovered how difficult it was to compete with these big billion dollar brands. And, you know, I'd, I had all the confidence, call it confidence, it was stupidity in the beginning that I could make it work. I figured, hey, you know, I'll produce a, a better quality product and I'll sell it at a competitive price and I'll win. It just seemed so simple. It wasn't. Um, anyway, so, you know, I got my wife to quit her full time job. You know, we uh, we had this little uh uh, 1200 square foot garage that we bought a roaster and we were trying to do our stuff. And, you know, I got a couple other people to come and help. And, uh, and um, anyway, it was going downhill fast. It was going nowhere fast, really. And the little money that we had had was gone and there was no prospect of any more money coming in the door or any sales coming in the door. And for a very long time, and I couldn't tell you if it was, it wasn't days, but it was at least weeks, if not a couple of months, I had a pit in my stomach, like the worst feeling in the world of like fear and failure. And it just manifested itself physically. And it was the worst feeling I'd ever felt. And to this day, I've had, you know, other things happen to me and nothing was as bad as that. Anyway, I wake up wake up. I hardly ever slept, but three o'clock in the morning, one morning with this feeling. And I go into this walk-in closet that we had and I get down and I prayed and they call it, uh, you know, crying out to God. Um, I prayed and I said, God, I can't, I can't do this on my own. I need some help. Help me. And I, I felt, I heard in my spirit, I heard in my mind I have already blessed your business. And in that very mm. second, I had this amazing calm wash over my entire body. I mean, this, this is a feeling I had that didn't go away, whether I was awake or sleeping or working or whatever, it was there the whole time. And just as I heard that in my mind, I had this amazing calm wash over me. And I, I went that night back to bed and I slept like a baby and I woke up feeling great. And two days later, a miracle happened. And what happened was this woman uh, at the bank who had helped us with our mortgage, who was a familiar with our company, called me out of the blue. I hadn't talked to her in months. And, and she said, hey, I think I can get you some money. And I said, okay. And it was four questions over the phone. And I got $100,000 in the bank, like a couple of days after that. Now, you know, God is not an ATM, but that was the need. And that's exactly what happened to me. And, and I, I feel sort of compelled to tell this story. I'm not, I'm not a big evangelist running around telling people they should believe in God, but that happened to me. And since then, it's been one thing after another, after another, and clear in front of my eyes, miracles. So we, we, we used that money to grow the company. And then a year later, I called the bank back because we were out of the money, you know, because I'm always, you know, to the wall, man, I'm always trying to grow. And I'm, you know, I'm not looking back or anything. I'm not like uh, afraid to spend money, invest money. Anyway, I called the bank a year later. And I said, hey, you know, we need some more money. And they said, we don't know how you got that money. That was a miracle. I'm like, I know, I know, I need another one. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, that's so, you know, to answer your question, uh, when there's going to be tough times, but really it's faith. 
I mean, if you have faith in, in your ability, you know, if you have faith in, in God, you know, not a lot of people arrive at that point, but you know, you have a business and you're, you're about to fail and you're about to lose everything and you're in a hole. When people are in a hole, they look up, right? So um, <laughs> 100%. that's it. So that's what I recommend. And it's, it's got me through it. And just one little add on to that because miracle after miracle has happened, but I was uh, in a hotel room in Atlanta and, um, and I woke up one morning and uh, you get in the laptop or you get a call and it's this, you know, what fresh hell is this today? And it was like, it was, and I, I don't want to exaggerate the numbers, but it was multiple things that were, that were gone wrong and that were deal breakers. They were like things like, you know, if you can fix something in a day or mm -hmm. a, a week or whatever. And then there are things that you ain't going to fix them because they're really serious. It's not going to be easy. And I was freaking out about it. And I said to myself, I said, wait a minute, God has already blessed my business. And there's a saying, if it's his will, it's his bill. So as soon as I said that, I went about my business that day. And by the end of that day, every single one of those things was taken care of. And, you know, there's, I, I could tell you other miracles that were even, you know, more like, wow, but that to me is one of the most important ones because it, it answers your question. You know, what do you do when things are really tough and how do you get through it? And that's, that's how I did it. It was, it was faith. It was my faith. It's amazing. And uh, I thank you for sharing that aspect of your journey with us. And it leads to two questions that we always ask on the show. And as a man of faith, I'd be interested to hear your perspective on both of these topics. Uh, I see Chris smiling already because he knows where I'm going with this. <laughs> so first question is, what is your perception or views on just money in general? And the follow-up is, what do you feel the idea of power uh, basically means to you in your life, in your business? Okay. Money and power. Yeah, great, great questions. Uh, so money, uh, it's a very interesting one because, um, again, it's, uh, I, uh, I, di I discovered a principle. I mean, I didn't discover it. It's universal and people know it and it's, you know, it's biblical and everything. But, you know, I found that the more you give, the more you get. And, um, and I kind of was sort of aware of this a long time ago. And, but I've had a lot of, a lot of opportunities to, uh, to demonstrate it um, over the years. And the bigger we've gotten, the more I've been able to put on the line to see if this thing works. And, uh, and it works, and it's an amazing principle. And I also found that it works not just with money, but everything else, with time. Uh, the more time you give, the more patience, the more gratitude, all these things, the more you give, the more you get back. And the more you get back, you can give more. And, and, you know, who doesn't like to spend money, right? I mean, money is good to have, you know, it's like Maslow's hierarchy. Once you get mm -hmm. to a certain point where you can feed yourself and you can, you know, whatever, shelter yourself and that type of thing, uh, then you got to pay the light bill and then you got to, you know, and once you nail those, those things, then what happens after that? You know, there's some higher order things that uh, that you can spend money on, but you can also fool around and help other people try to get what they want uh, with money. So that's my thing on money. I, uh, I mean, 
you know, I don't ever want to look like a hypocrite because I mean, I live pretty good. I'm not going to lie. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but, right. uh, at the same time, it's, you know, it's only because I've been giving and just more comes back and what, you know, you, you, there's only so much you can do with all that extra money. Right. Um, and as far as power goes, I mean, listen, I, I, when I was a younger man, I remember, what is it? Uh, I think it was uh, the movie Wall Street, maybe, but I mean, you guys didn't know probably, but um, uh, all young men want power. All young men want power. Was what that, is? I think it was Wall Street. I, 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 think, I think that is in this movie, yes, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I wanted it too, you know, back when I was young, but uh, what does it mean? You know, I just, uh, I, I, I don't really care anymore. You know what I mean? I just, uh, I want to I be, right now I'm in a space where I just want to be creative with this business. I want to keep, uh, you know, demonstrating that the more you give, the more you get and uh, just keep growing the company. And I don't need power. I mean, what is power anyway? You know what, Darren, I, I want to elaborate on something you said earlier, um, because I'm, you know, I'm by faith, I'm Christian. So I understand what you said resonated with me. But I also believe that God will step in as long as he's seeing you step in, too. Right. Yeah. You, as you were going through what as you were going through your struggle, you know, to again, you know, to build this brand. He saw that you were willing to put in the work and then he was willing to step in to do what he needed to do because your 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 intentions were pure. You're yeah. just it's almost like it's almost like Job where he was just testing Job to see if he was still, you know, to stay faithful to him. Right. And right. he he stepped in at the right time to kind of do X, Y and Z. I Amen. think that's that's one of the things um, that. In general, whether you're, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're trying to run a company because you love it, I think that you have to put in the necessary work. It has to come from you first, right? Yeah. Because in the script, in the Bible, it says, "With you know, the faith of that works is dead." You can have the you can have one hundred percent faith, but if you have zero, if you don't put in any type of effort, nothing will change. Right. Um, and also think successes comes from consistency and being the willing to have a, a marathon mindset. If you understanding that nothing is going to happen, at least nothing real will happen overnight. If right. you, you have passion behind it, you know, you can, you can become a success in your own right for, for sure. Um, I want to ask you a question about coffee in general I, and specifically, obviously your, your brand. So why Don Pablo? Like if someone was saying, you know what? I just want to, I want to try coffee. Right. And, yeah. you know, I have all these brands to choose from. Why would I choose Don Pablo? Okay. So uh, first of all, like we talked about 95% of all the coffee that you see on the store shelves are created by only four companies. So these are massive, you know, uh, global conglomerates and they're roasting in these giant 2000, 3000, 5,000 pound roasters. They have heating help, heating elements in the hopper, so they're baking the bean before it hits the drum. So it's a five-minute cycle rather than a more natural twenty-minute cycle. When all that coffee comes out in in all that volume, they have to do what's called a quench. They spray water on it; otherwise, it will continue to roast in its own heat. Um, so that quality is not great. And they have supply chains that are you know years long. You know, if you go into the supermarket you will find coffee that has been there for several months 
And coffee is no different than produce or bread or anything else. And, and most of the people, consumers, don't know what fresh coffee tastes like. So what we do, and it's certainly, it's very uncommon uh, in, in a roaster, roasting company our size, uh, we have multiple small batch roasters. We've got five roasters and they're all under 120 kilos. We have two 30 kilos, we got a 60 kilo. Um, so we are, and we roast to order. So we get a PO, it doesn't matter if it's Costco, Sam's Club or Amazon or where it's going, that PO comes in, we roast that coffee then and there. We don't have any third party logistics company. So it's not sitting in a warehouse for a month before the order comes. Um, so Better Beans, also the big companies, you know, they, they've got shareholders, they've got to grow, you know, they've got to grow margins. So they look for any uh, opportunity to, to cut costs and they do that with the beans. And a lot of people don't even realize there are two type of coffee beans. One's Robusta and one's Arabica. Robusta grows in Vietnam, a lot of it in Brazil. Uh, it, it's a low grown, grows very quickly at low altitudes. It's very acidic. It's very bitter. It's got double the caffeine, so you can make it nervous and jittery. Uh, Arabica is a specialty grade bean, grows higher up in the mountain. It's uh, got a deeper flavor, a fuller body. It's uh, richer. It's very chocolatey. Uh, it's smoother. It's less acidic. It's got half the caffeine. So it's an entirely different bean. And within the Arabica, uh, species, you've got different grades of that coffee. Uh, and a lot of the bigger companies that will use an Arabica bean, they'll, they'll use a lower grown Arabica bean. So it's not as good quality. It's not as dense. It's not as flavorful. And then there's defects. You can uh, save a lot of money buying coffee that's got more defects uh, than eight per kilo, which, you know, we only use what they call European prep, which is eight per kilo but there are coffees out there with 14, 20 plus defects and they're cheaper. And they'll also use past crop coffees. Like uh, we will use fresh crop coffees, you know, in depending where you are, Columbia has two harvests a year. The rest of the world pretty much only has one. Uh, it's usually towards the end of the year, the beginning of the next year. And we only buy from, from that crop. We don't buy two or three years uh, past crops. We could save a lot of money, but there's no flavor. So, uh, we are committed, and this this speaks to I think what we were talking about earlier about you know giving and sacrificing, and uh, it, our system is is terribly terribly inefficient with with all these you know small batch roasters and all the people that is are required to operate those roasters and all the computerized profile systems for each roaster. You know, if, uh, you know, a finance guy comes in, you know, when you guys come in and you, uh, you look at what we're doing, first thing you're going to say is this is, this is no good. You know, you got to get a bigger roaster. It's got to be automated. It's got to be, but it makes all the difference in the cup. Our stuff is just better. Not that everybody knows the difference between good and bad now, but we're, we've been educating people for a long time on what that is. And, you know, we have a 70% on Amazon. We're, we're, um, we've got at least eight, often 10 or 13 coffees in the top 100 at any given time. Uh, and we have a 70% out of 8,000 brands, by the way, 8,000 coffees. Oh, wow. uh, yeah. And we have a 70% uh, customer retention rate. So it's sort of an uphill battle trying to educate people and pull them away from what they've been drinking all their lives. But once you do, then they stick with you at least 70% of the time. 
Darren, how do you make the perfect cup of coffee? I'm just curious because, again, I'm, you know, you have, you have people who can, you know, who French press. I do French press, but, uh, you know, you you're an, you're a coffee business yeah. you're a coffee guy so i would yeah. i would love to hear it instead of looking at youtube or anything like that right if i wanted to make the perfect cup of coffee how would i make it and what is your favorite cup of coffee uh, how, okay. how, how to make it excellent questions uh so the first thing i want to tell you is a french press i have been in the coffee business for a long time and i've had people make me coffee from a french press for many many years and i think one or two out of those thousand times have gotten it right it's very, very difficult to get a French press right. Why? The biggest mistake that people make is they, they put a kettle on the stove and they boil the water and they either pour, pour it on the coffee while it's still boiling or they wait a few seconds and pour it while it's just off the boil. And you'll go in on the internet and you'll find people, oh, wait till it goes just off the boil. No good, because that scalds the coffee and it robs it of all its flavor in its body. So, um, that and also the, you know, the ratio of coffee to water is tricky and even trickier is the grind. So, you know, what you want to do when you do a French press is you want to have the grind fine enough so you get some flavor out of it, but coarse enough so it doesn't filter through the screen. So if you'll notice most of the time in a French press, when you get down to the bottom of the cup, it's a little muddy down there. There's some residual coffee grounds in there and that just throws off the flavor. Uh, so, so it's very hard to do. And, you know, French press was, uh, I think invented, especially the French, you know, the French, uh, they occupied Vietnam and they grow a lot of coffee in Vietnam, but it's the Robusta variety. It's very low grown. Uh, like I said, no flavor, acidic, bitter. And if you steep coffee, you're going to get more flavor out of it. Even if it's a poor quality coffee, you'll get a little more flavor out of it. So they did that. And the Italians also brought in a lot of coffee from Africa, a lot of Robusta coffee from Africa. Africa's got great coffee, but most of it's the lower quality Robusta stuff. So back in the day, the Italians were bringing in all the Robusta coffee. And I just heard the story about Portugal and they were only getting coffee from their, their territories in Africa, Angola and, um, the other places escape me now, but uh, but that they were bringing this low quality coffee and they had to create this espresso machine with this steam extraction uh, in order to get enough flavor out of that poor quality coffee. And that became the norm. Uh, and that's also going back to the French. They developed the French roast, which was a very dark roast. And if you if you roast a very poor quality coffee, very dark you're going to get some kind of flavor out of it. And then you put a bunch of French cream in there and maybe a sweetener and voila, you got something you can drink. So, all right. To answer your question is, um, uh, I moved it out of the background, but it's a $16 Mr. Coffee drip machine. That's the best way to make coffee. $16 Mr. Coffee drip machine. If you want a consistent, quick and easy way to do it, uh, that's the way to do it. Um, and it's got to be Mr. Coffee because some of those other brands, uh, I mean, I think they might own Sunbeam too, I forget, but, uh, but somehow the water temperature is not right in those other ones. You will be sure almost, you know, 99% of the time, they can be defective sometimes, but 99% of the time, uh, you'll get a consistent brew out of a, a cheap Mr. Coffee machine. If I have the time or I want to impress somebody, then I'll use a pour over. You know, it's uh, like it's a Hario brewer mm -hmm. that gives you a lot of flavor, a lot of body and a lot of flavor. Uh, but again, you got to get the 
the water temperature just right. And that magic number is about 195 degrees Fahrenheit. But anywhere from 185 to 200, 200 degrees Fahrenheit, you're starting to push it at 200 degrees Fahrenheit. Super important. To get it May I ask you a question about the, uh, the, the coffee experience in your, in your eyes? So for you, like I, I know for me, when it comes to coffee, I wake up, you know, I exercise, I, I, you know, I do a little prayer, then I have my coffee right after that, right? And it's almost like a ritual in and of itself to like awaken you and prepare you for the day. And once again, I'm drinking Don Pablo, everybody, after, you know, for my morning routine. So is coffee, do you still like, do you have your own little ritual when it comes to coffee or are you just oh, yeah. drinking coffee as the cone? No, yeah, yeah, so it's, uh, it's my wife and I, uh, we wake up and then uh, I go and, you know, grind the coffee. You got to grind it fresh every morning, grind as you go, because that's how you get the most flavor out of it. You know, I turn the brewer on, I jump back in bed, we flip on Bloomberg and uh, look what's going on in the financial news. And um, and then we I pour the cup and then we sit and we drink one cup and then we sit and drink another cup. And sometimes, um, you know, I'll uh, I'll read a chapter of a book to her in the bed. And uh, it's honestly, it's my favorite time of the day. You know, it's just such a nice time. And maybe we spend 40 minutes, an hour, maybe max in there. And then then we take on the day. But that's our, our ritual. Darren, I, I want to ask you a question. So this is the success fundamental show. And. <clears throat> we've had some amazing guests come on and just kind of give what their definition of success is in general. So I'm asking you, what does success mean to you? Oh yeah. I mean, that's a, uh, that's a, uh, it's a tough question, but I, I think it's a, uh, when, when everything in your life is, is balanced out, I think is the best, uh, best example. I mean, best way to explain it for me like when there are no extremes uh, and you just wake up and things are going well and, you know, you got a lot of cool projects in the pipeline and you like what you do. And, um, and, you know, you're not, you're not dwelling on negatives. You're not afraid for the future. You're overall pretty positive. I mean, you know, it might sound a little boring, but that's to me, that's what it is when I don't have to freak out about things anymore um you've got good people that you can rely on uh i just you're healthy you know you obviously got to be healthy first that's number one 100%. um yeah but i mean i just i right now if i died i'd be no regrets you know what i mean not that 100%. i don't want to create more and do more but uh but that's that's what it is i heard another definition a long time ago some movie or whatever and I, I thought about it a lot and I think it's, you know, it could be valid. It's a little bit more simple, I think. Um, but they said, uh, the guy said, um, when you, when you're, when you wake up in the morning, you, you wake up when your eyes open up, you're not waking up to an alarm clock. Whenever your eyes open up and you're staring at the ceiling and you say to yourself or your spouse or whatever, what do you want to do today? You know, it's like, that's pretty cool too, right? It's funny. Uh, it, Warren Buffett has this, this definition of, of success. He says, never, never judge success or measure your success by the dollars you have, but by the people who actually truly love who you are. Oh yeah. That's, that's great. That is great. 100%. Yeah. So one question I, I do want to ask you, Darren is 
you spoke a lot about the freedom to have creative expression. Uh, so I would like to know what, like if you were to dig down a little bit deeper into to your perception of having the freedom to create. And then the second thing, are you currently creating anything now? Like what is the edge of your creativity? What are you currently working on? Yeah. You know, I mean, if I, if I were to critique myself, uh, you know, as the CEO of the company, I would say that I spend more time in marketing than I do in some of the other areas that I probably should, because that's my favorite part of the whole thing. And, um, and I love to create. And the most recent thing, really two that we've done, uh, one is a bourbon infused coffee. And um, it's, uh, it's a pretty amazing product, really. It's we take green coffee before it's roasted, and then we'll soak it in Kentucky bourbon, like we've got this high end Kentucky bourbon that we we use and we let it sit for about 36 hours, 48 hours. And, uh, and then the, it actually soaks up every drop of this bourbon. It's locked inside of the bean and then we roast it and, you know, roast out all the alcohol, but the smell is just, uh, the bourbon aroma is just amazing. And the taste is like this perfect balance of bourbon and coffee. It's got the vanilla notes, the spice. Uh, and it's just, um, it's crazy good. I, I did it with tequila um, when we first started about 17 years ago and really was uh, people weren't ready for that kind of thing. Uh, and then a few years ago, I started experimenting with other things. And of course, bourbon's been blowing up. So we said, hey, let's try bourbon. And so far, we've been selling it three years in a row to Costco um, and selling it to Sam's and all over the world in China and Taiwan and Australia and, you know, all over the U S too. Uh, the LA region just is buying some Midwest Southeast. And it's just a really amazing product. And we, we kind of scored a, scored a goal with the packaging. It comes in this barrel packaging and, and um, people really like it. So it's seasonal, you know, it's, uh, we don't, we didn't think that it would do well, as well, you know, all year round, but we do have a lot of customers that are buying on Amazon, but selling it to Costco seasonally and, and flies off the shelf because the, the packaging is so good looking and it tastes really good. So that's one thing that, you know, really got me going in terms of creating and stuff. And, you know, there was, was a lot of challenges involved in that, doing it just right, trying to figure out the formulas and stuff. The other one is I'm equally as excited about it because in my mind, it's just a winner and it's an everyday winner. And it's a, it's a whole bean coffee spice grinder. So we've got these, you've seen grinders where like peppercorn grinders, where you grind them mm -hmm. right there in the salad or whatever you're doing. And it's fresh ground pepper. Same thing, fresh ground pepper. This is with peppercorn, sea salt. Um, we've got, uh, um, you know, red chili flakes in one. We've got, uh, one of them's a bourbon, uh, coffee, sea salt and peppercorn. And, you know, you're grinding whole bean coffee right on your food. And it's, it makes a great meat rub. It makes a really good condiment. I mm. use it more as a condiment. You can put it on, you know, I had duck last night, duck breast, and I put it on the duck breast and it was just out of this world. And nobody's got it. I mean, they, th there's coffee rubs out there where it's already ground. And you know that they got it from some roaster, you know, and it's been sitting in shelves and that coffee is going to be really stale by the time you... Yeah, fresh, beautiful. And the peppercorn and the sea salt grinding out with it. It's really pretty cool. Wow. Chris, you're a big barbecue guy, Chris. Oh, 100%. <laughs> uh, I, lo I love to smoke meat, Darren. So, like, you know. Oh, great. Like when it comes to, like, uh, 
spare ribs, pork shoulder, brisket. I love that. I yeah, am, I love that. I am that guy. So I definitely have to try that on, on, on some of this meat for sure. So send me your shipping address. Email me your shipping address and we'll send you a, like a package of both of those things. Okay. And that, that goes for anybody in your audience. Um, and this falls under the more we give, the more we get in the 70% retention rate. I mean, we, we give samples to as many people, companies call us up and say, can I have a thousand, you know, whatever. And we're like, yeah, sure. You know, because we know we get customers that way. So anybody who's listening to this, you know, hopefully you're in the U S if not, then, you know, we'll have to you know talk about that, but, but either way, we're happy to give samples. There, awesome. thank you. Shout, shout out to our our listeners in the Republic of Zambia. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent. They can pay the shipping. <laughs> Absolutely, Darren. I have a question for you. Um, as as we as we begin to wrap up here, so what advice would you give someone who is they ha- they may have a great idea, but they may they're scared to take okay. that leap. So, and, yeah. Go ahead if you want to. No, because, you know, I'm pretty, once this airs, I'm pretty sure a lot of people will be extremely inspired by your story. And I thank you for being so candid about, you know, what you went through to get here. But a lot of people may are, may have listened to the, the voice that said, Oh, if, if it, if it were so good, somebody would be doing that right now and yeah. it discourages them, but they know they have a winner of an idea, but they're just too scared to leave. What advice would you give them? So if they, if they have that idea and they know it's a winner, you know, deep in their being, they know that it's going to, it can work. Uh, you know, the first advice is just do it, just do it. Right. The second advice is never give up. Right. So just do it and never give up. And even if it doesn't, at first, it's not easy. You know, there's always one door closes, another one opens up. So if you have an interest in a certain type of business or product or whatever it is, uh, and that interest is not going to go away in a day or two, just jump into it. And then it might morph two or three times, you know, from what you originally thought, but just get into it, do it, you know, do the research first, do the math. You're never going to be as prepared as you think you could be. You just are not because it's you're jumping into the unknown. Mm-hmm. Um, but have confidence. Uh, I mean, I made a ton of mistakes in the beginning. If I had to, had to do it over, I mean, I don't know. I probably, it, it gets a little dangerous once you start second guessing yourself. You know, it really does. Like if I said, well, I should have done this or I should have done that, I probably wouldn't have done it at all because it was too hard to do that or that. You know, so just do it. Uh, never give up. And the other thing is, I would say, you know, the golden rule, you know, always put yourself into the other person's shoes, you know, always do onto them as you you would do have done onto yourself. I mean, those three things, I don't think you can lose. You know, if you help people get what they want and these are your customers, I mean, you have to understand. And I, I read this one time a long time ago and I uh and I had given it a lot of thought. And, and that was um, that nobody cares about your business. When you first start your company, nobody cares about your business. They don't care about your product, <laughs> you know? And I, I read that. I'm like, wow, that's callous. But it's true. And uh, what you have to do, what they care about is what's in it for them. So you have to design whatever you're offering 
uh, as something that is something that they can't refuse, something that's so attractive that they're going to want to buy it. And you got to design your whole, the rest of the company around that uh, showing that you are the company that they need to buy from because you care more than anybody else or you're willing to do more for them than anybody else. That's, you know, I think that's it. That is amazing advice. Is 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 one of the reasons why Brian and I started this show because we run and we talk to extraordinary people like yourself because yes, it's for our audience for people to be inspired because you know um, I forgot who said this saying but um, the highest human act is to, is to inspire um, and uh, it's one of those things to where we are speaking to people who have done it but we also can apply it to our own lives as well. So by you saying things like that, you know, one, I know our audience is going to like that a lot, but then two is something that Brian and I can just, you know, take away and, you know, implement in our own lives as well. So thank you. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on. And I'm glad that I could say something that might be worth, worth something. (laughs) So Darren, how do people find you? Let's say they want to try your brand. Let's say they want to, follow you how do people get in contact with you so uh you know amazon if they want to try the product uh, they can certainly uh you know email me i don't know if you can put a link to my email address email of me course. directly and i'll send them a care package and um you know we're on amazon we're on donpablo.com we've got an instagram account uh, hashtag don pablo coffee uh youtube we um you know that's a whole nother thing but we're really trying to pump up our youtube right now i've got some really cool content on there we've been we we started a production video production business also we have that in our roasting facility so we're using that to create content for for youtube so you know like and subscribe please 100 <laughs> you also i was reading um reading something you're also starting something called the coffee fix what what, what is what is that yeah that's uh that's something we're really uh excited about and it's a show and um, it, it pretty much demonstrates or attempts to demonstrate that universal truth that the more you give, the more you get. Um, we started it right before the pandemic. So uh, we had to scale back a little bit. Um, but we went to Guatemala and we found some people, um, you know, they were selling handicrafts on the street and they were very poor and they were suffering and it was hard and they had a big, beautiful family and stuff. So, you know, we thought, hey, let's try this experiment. Let's try to get them a retail store. So we give them a little bit of a, a you know, bump up, if you will. And we got them a retail store and and they, you know, they filled it with inventory and they started selling and it was going really well until, you know, the virus closed everything. But um but that was uh, that was good, and we haven't given up on them. As soon as we can go back there and, and things are open again, we're gonna we're gonna do more on that. We're going to Portugal uh, at in September, and we're gonna help out some entrepreneurs over there that I met. Uh, ones in the wine business. Uh, another thing is, um, I guess I'll say it. I mean, I, you know, I want people to know about it, but it's so early in the process, I'm hesitant. Um, there's an island. Uh, off, it's a Portuguese island. Uh, it's called Madeira. And um, it's uh, off the coast of North Africa. And, um, and we are going to be the first company to grow coffee commercially on that island. 
you know, I've been spending some time over there and the conditions are right. It looks exactly like Colombia and other parts of Latin America. It's a little bit outside of the coffee belt, but, um, but I have a lot of confidence that, you know, we can get some quality coffee to grow there. So the, the, that show, the coffee fix is going to be about helping local farmers to grow that coffee for us so we can buy it from them at a premium rate and sell it to our customers over here. And, uh, so cool. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's exciting to, you know, think about, uh, you know, hopefully it'll be a big success and uh, will help a lot of people. But, you know, check out on YouTube. We have what we call our sizzle reel, the coffee fix sizzle <laughs> reel. And you'll get a taste for what that show is going to be like. And, you know, like we there was a coffee farmer in Guatemala that we highlighted. And in about a week, we're going to be actually it's this Wednesday in a couple of days, we're going to be um, highlighting his story and there's going to be like a buy now button. So, you know, if you like the story and the coffee is really phenomenal, um, you can just click the button and send some to your house. So that's going to be the idea with, uh, with what we're doing with the coffee uh, fix. Uh, we're going to do it with wine. We're going to do it with olive oil in, in Italy. We know a guy and mm. um, and it should be a lot of fun and informative, and you know, it's the, the people will be able to see that it's really great, great quality that they can get, and um, they'll get to know the the producers and the story behind uh, you know their families and stuff, and why the stuff is so good. Imagine that amazing olive oil with that Don Pablo like spice blend. Oh yeah. Oh. On like lamb or something over a nice oh, wood man. fire. I love <laughs> it. Yeah, you're making me hungry, Brian. <laughs> me too. <laughs> this whole conversation is making me hungry. <laughs> I'm telling you. Well, thank you. Thank Darren. you so much for joining yeah. us today. Thank Darren. you, Chris, and thank you, Brian. We appreciate you guys. Thanks, Darren. You've been amazing. So, you know, like like I said, our our listeners is going to be you know very inspired by this show. Thank you again for you know taking time out of your extremely busy schedule to have a conversation with Brian and I. Um, our audience is going to love this. And that has been another edition of Success Fundamentals. And we will see you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Success Fundamentals podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and leave a review. 